0: Thank you for tuning into Songs of Praise from Three ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort, and hope.
1: Christ, therefore I no longer live, Jesus Christ now hearts to move The cross, the cross of Jesus
0: Songs of praise endeavours to draw your heart, mind and soul to a closer relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ.
2: Strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my only. Again, I bless your name, you are my all, in all when I fall down you pick me up when I am dry you fill my cup, you are my own. sing at home with us.
0: If you're enjoying this music, encourage your friends to listen to this program each week.
2: raced up Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, your gift of love, they crucified, they laughed and scorned Sacrifice Sweet.
0: Invite your family and friends to also enjoy Songs of Praise.
2: into this world of sin, goodness stops where I begin, I'm nothing on my own, I know I try so to be good, yet I know I never
3: Saints at the river that flows by the throne of God there we reach the shining River
4: praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore Thee, may I still Thy goodness prove. While the hope of endless glory fills my heart, sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood oh to grace how great a debtor may thee I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a feather, my wandering heart to Thee. Never let me wander from
0: We here at 3ABN Australia Radio are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads.
5: Continuing the chapter, Like a Grain of Mustard Seed when Christ spoke this parable, there were only a few Galilean peasants to represent the new kingdom. Their poverty, the fewness of their numbers, were urged over and over again as a reason why men should not connect themselves with these simple-minded fishermen who followed Jesus. But the mustard seed was to grow and spread forth its branches throughout the world. When the earthly kingdoms whose glory then filled the hearts of men should perish, the kingdom of Christ would remain a mighty and far-reaching power. So the work of grace in the heart is small in its beginning. A word is spoken, a ray of light is shed into the soul, and influence is exerted that is beginning of new life. And who can measure its results? Not only is the growth of Christ's kingdom illustrated by the parable of the mustard seed, but in every stage of its growth, the experience represented in the parable is repeated. For His Church, in every generation, God has a special truth and a special work. The truth that is hid from the worldly, wise and prudent is revealed to the childlike and humble. It calls for self-sacrifice. It has battles to fight and victories to win. At the outset, its advocates are few. By the great men of the world and by a world-confirming Church, They are opposed and despised. See John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, standing alone to rebuke the pride and formalism of the Jewish nation. See the first bearers of the gospel into Europe. How obscure, how hopeless seemed the mission of Paul and Silas, the two tent makers, as they with their companions took ship at Troas for Philippi. See Paul, the aged, in chains, preaching Christ in the stronghold of the Caesars, See the little communities of slaves and peasants in conflict with the heathenism of imperial Rome. See Martin Luther withstanding that mighty church, which is the masterpiece of the world's wisdom. See him holding fast God's word against emperor and pope declaring, Here I take my stand. I cannot do otherwise. God be my help. See John Wesley preaching Christ and his righteousness in the midst of formalism, sensualism and infidelity. See one burdened with the woes of the heathen world, pleading for the privilege of carrying to them Christ's message of love. Hear the response of ecclesiasticism. Sit down, young man. When God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. The great leaders of religious thought in this generation sound the praises and build the monuments of those who planted the seed of truth centuries ago. Do not many turn from this work to trample down the growth springing from the same seed today? The old cry is repeated, We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, Christ in the messenger he sends, we know not from whence he is. John 9.29 As in earlier ages, the special truths for this time are found not with the ecclesiastical authorities but with men and women who are not too learned or too wise to believe the word of God. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to nought things that are. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 28. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. And in this last generation, the parable of the mustard seed is to reach a signal and triumphant fulfillment. The little seed will become a tree. The last message of warning and mercy is to go to every nation and kindred and tongue, Revelation 14, verses 6 to 14, to take out of them a people for his name, Acts 15, verse 14, and Revelation 18, verse 1, and the earth shall be lightened with his glory. Other Lessons from Seed-Sowing From the work of seed-sowing and the growth of the plant from the seed, precious lessons may be taught in the family and the school. That the children and youth learn to recognize in natural things the working of divine agencies and they will be enabled to grasp by faith unseen benefits. As they come to understand the wonderful work of God in supplying the wants of His great family and how we are to cooperate with Him, they will have more faith in God and will realize more of His power in their own daily life. God created the seed as He created the earth by His Word. By his word he gave it power to grow and multiply. He said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, verses 11 and 12. It is that word which still causes the seed to grow. Every seed that sends up its green blade to the sunlight declares the wonder-working power of that word uttered by him who spoken it was, who commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 33, verse 9. Christ taught his disciples to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. And pointing to the flowers, he gave them the assurance, If God so clothe the grass of the field, shall he not much more clothe you? Matthew 6, verse 11 and verse 30. Christ is constantly working to answer this prayer and to make good this assurance. There is an invisible power, constantly at work as man's servant, to feed and to clothe him. Many agencies our Lord employs to make the seed, apparently thrown away, a living plant. And he supplies in due proportion all that is required to perfect the harvest. In the beautiful words of the psalmist, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it, Thou greatly enrichest it. The river of God is full of water. Thou providest them corn when thou hast so prepared the earth. Thou waterest her furrows abundantly. Thou settlest the ridges thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness and thy paths drop fatness. Psalm 65 verses 9 to 11. The material world is under God's control. The laws of nature are obeyed by nature. Everything speaks and acts the will of the Creator. Cloud and sunshine, dew and rain, wind and storm, all are under the supervision of God and yield implicit obedience to His command. It is in obedience to the law of God that the spire of grain bursts through the ground, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Mark 4, verse 28. These the Lord develops in their proper season because they do not resist His working. And can it be that man, made in the image of God, endowed with reason and speech, shall alone be unappreciative of His gifts and disobedient to His will? Shall rational beings alone cause confusion in our world? In everything that tends to the sustenance of man is seen the concurrence of divine and human effort. There can be no reaping unless the human hand acts its part in the sowing of the seed. But without the agencies which God provides in giving sunshine and showers, dew and clouds, there would be no increase. Thus it is in every business pursuit, in every department of study of science. Thus it is in spiritual things, in the formation of the character, and in every line of Christian work. We have a part to act but we must have the power of divinity to unite with us or our efforts will be in vain. Whenever man accomplishes anything, whether in spiritual or in temporal lines, he should bear in mind that he does it through cooperation with his Maker. There is great necessity for us to realize our dependence on God. Too much confidence is placed in man, too much reliance on human inventions. There is too little confidence in the power which God stands ready to give. We are laborers together with God, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. Immeasurably inferior is the part which the human agent sustains, but if he is linked with the divinity of Christ, he can do all things through the strength that Christ imparts. The gradual development of the plant from the seed is an object lesson in child training. There is first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. He who gave this parable created the tiny seed, gave it its vital properties, and ordained the laws that govern its growth. And the truths which the parable teaches were made a living reality in his own life. In both his physical and his spiritual nature, he followed the divine order of growth illustrated by the plant as he wishes all youth to do. Although he was the majesty of heaven, the king of glory, he became a babe in Bethlehem and for a time represented the helpless infant in its mother's care. In childhood he did the works of an obedient child. He spoke and acted with the wisdom of a child and not of a man, honoring his parents and carrying out their wishes in helpful ways according to the ability of a child." But at each stage of his development, he was perfect with the simple, natural grace of a sinless life. The sacred record says of his childhood, The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And of his youth, it is recorded, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Luke 2, verses 40 and 52. The work of parents and teachers is here suggested. They should aim to cultivate the tendencies of the youth that at each stage of their life they may represent the natural beauty appropriate to that period, unfolding naturally, as do the plants in the garden. Those children are most attractive who are natural, unaffected. It is not wise to give them special notice and repeat their clever sayings before them. Vanity should not be encouraged by praising their looks, their words or their actions nor should they be dressed in an expensive or showy manner. This encourages pride in them and awakens envy in the hearts of their companions. The little ones should be educated in childlike simplicity. They should be trained to be content with the small, helpful duties and the pleasures and experiences natural to their years. Childhood answers to the blade in the parable, and the blade has a beauty peculiarly its own. The children should not be forced into a precocious maturity, but should retain as long as possible the freshness and grace of their early years. The little children may be Christians, having an experience in accordance with their years. This is all that God expects of them. They need to be educated in spiritual things, and parents should give them every advantage that they may form characters after the similitude of the character of Christ. In the laws of God in nature... Effect follows cause with unerring certainty. The reaping will testify as to what the sowing has been. The slothful worker is condemned by his work. The harvest bears witness against him. So in spiritual things, the faithfulness of every worker is measured by the results of his work. The character of his work, whether diligent or slothful, is revealed by the harvest. It is thus that his destiny for eternity is decided. Every sown seed produces a harvest of its kind. So it is in human life. We all need to sow the seeds of compassion, sympathy and love, for we shall reap what we sow. Every characteristic of selfishness, self-love, self-esteem, every act of self-indulgence will bring forth a like harvest. He who lives for self is sowing to the flesh, and of the flesh he will reap corruption. God destroys no man. Everyone who is destroyed will have destroyed himself. Everyone who stifles the admonitions of conscience is sowing the seeds of unbelief, and these will produce a sure harvest. Join us again next time as
0: Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. enjoy the short presentation of how God led his people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com
6: There were many new discoveries in the word of God at this time as God was forming his church and whenever a truth is discovered a counterfeit is not far behind. Another phenomenon that was sweeping the northeastern part of the United States at this time started with the Fox sisters in the late 1840s. The Fox family of John and Margaret and their two daughters, Margaret and Katie, moved into the little town of Hydesville, New York. And although the original home is no longer standing, it would have stood just behind me. The Fox sisters are known as the founders of modern spiritualism. In 1848, Margaret and Katie were 15 and 12 years old and lived in a house that had a reputation as being haunted, making rapping or knocking sounds with their knuckles, mimicking sounds they had heard in the house to give the impression that it was haunted for the purpose of scaring their mother. Questions were asked and soon she would ask questions and the answers would come back in the number of raps or knocks that they heard. She was convinced. The neighbors were called, and it wasn't long before the girls were acting as mediums, communicating with the spirits and taking questions. Some said that it was a hoax, while others claimed that it was real and that there really were mediums communicating directly with the spirits. Whichever way you look at it, few can ignore the phenomenon known as spiritualism, the belief that the spirits communicate with the living. This would grow over time and become an established part of society. It's fascinating that Hydesville, New York, is only about 15 minutes away from Hiram Edson's farm, the theological birthplace of the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's only about 20 minutes as well from Cumorah Hill, where Joseph Smith claimed the angel of Moroni descended and gave him the golden plates, which were translated as the Book of Mormon. Thus, three significant movements all came from the same area. A key figure to bring the biblical view of the state of man in death would be George Storrs, born in Lebanon, New Hampshire in 1796 as the youngest of eight children. As a child, he felt afraid of God and alienated from Christianity due to the sermons he would hear preached on the wicked tormenting in hellfire. At the age of 17, he made a decision to study out the goodness of God and under this influence and the prayers of his mother, he gave his life to Jesus at the age of 19. Under conviction, he felt a call to preach and started doing this in 1825 and would often preach against slavery, even ending up in prison once for mentioning this in his prayers. One day, whilst travelling by train, he read a tract by Deacon Henry Grew from Philadelphia on the subject of the State of the Dead. This led him to study his Bible. And after several years of study, correspondence, and conversation, he came to the settled conclusion that man does not possess inherent immortality, that it is a gift from God, and that the wicked are exterminated by fire at the second death. Due to the significant difference from the common view that the dead go straight to heaven, he experienced a lot of persecution and isolation from the various churches. However, this could not stop the printed press. In 1843, Storr's six sermons were published and 10,000 copies were distributed, with a further 200,000 over time. This would have a significant impact on the Millerite movement. And although William Miller himself did not accept this teaching, many others would, and it would go on to be a mainstay of the Sabbath-keeping Adventists as they sought to be true to the Bible as they developed their doctrinal beliefs. Although George Storrs did not accept the Sabbath or the sanctuary, he nonetheless made a significant contribution to a key doctrinal belief. Stores considered the idea of an eternally burning hell to be a blot on the character of God and contrary to the reality that God is love. The love of God needs to be at the centre of every doctrine that we hold and teach from the Bible, and Stores restored the love of God back to this teaching and showed His character in its true light. May we seek to do the same anytime we share God's Word with others.
0: To view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.